Very good. How are we all this morning? Good? Doing good? Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you, creative team, once again, serving us. Let's give our creative team a hand this morning. Getting here early, setting up, practicing, serving, so that we can come into his presence together. So thank you, team, for that, and all the teams that are serving across the life of church this morning. Very good. Well, this morning my message is called, You Can't Be Serious, and I will explain what that means in a little while, and I'm sure um, you've seen your kids do that to you, or say, you can't be serious, mum. Yes, I'm making you get dressed and go to school. You can't be serious. Unbelievable. But you'll find out what that really means in a minute. Um, Just a reminder, we need to keep praying for our team. They're flying off to Vanuatu today. And um, if you've looked at the news at all, there has been some cyclone warnings for Vanuatu this week. So it was a little bit touch and go earlier in the week. But um, it looks like it's moved away from Vanuatu. And we're praying it blows itself out off at sea somewhere, nowhere near land. But um, just keep them in your prayers. They're, doing some, they're building some houses. They're doing some work in the community there. And um, it's going to be a great few weeks for them. So make sure you keep praying for them. That'd be good. All right. We're going to read from Acts chapter 9 this morning in our Bibles. And we're going to read from the Message Bibles. So um, follow on from there. I'll read from verse 1. All this time Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples. He was out for the kill. He went to the chief priest and he got arrest warrants to, make, to take to the meeting places in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. The way is what they referred to as followers of Jesus, people that followed the way of Christ. That's what they were referred to. Verse 3, he set off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? He said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down. I want you to get up and enter the city. In the city, you'll be told what to do next. His companions stood there dumbstruck. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. They had to make, take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. He continued blind for three days. He ate nothing and he drank nothing. Verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue. Ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man, a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see again. Verse 13, Ananias protested, Master, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. But the master said, don't argue, Go. I have picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. So Ananias went and found the house. He placed his hands on blind Saul and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me. The same Jesus you saw on your way here, he sent me so you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
No sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got to his feet, he was baptized, and he sat down with them to a hearty meal. It says that Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus disciples, but then went right to work, wasting no time, preaching in the meeting places that this Jesus was the Son of God. They were caught off guard by this, and not at all sure they could trust him. They kept saying, isn't this the man who wrecked havoc in Jerusalem among the believers? And didn't he come here to do the same thing, arrest us and drag us off to jail in Jerusalem for sentencing by the high priest? Isn't this the same man? We can read about the rest of Paul's life in the book of Acts. And we can read how this man named Saul went from persecuting the church, from arresting Christians, for putting them in jail, for making life basically hell for them on earth. He went from doing that to all of a sudden now preaching the gospel, all of a sudden now proclaiming the truth of the gospel. He had a dramatic change in his life and he went on to be one of the most pivotal figures in the New Testament. His life was dramatically changed and turned around. It's interesting that people that can often be the biggest threat to the gospel once they become a Christian can often be the greatest evangelist for the cause of Christ. I was reading about um, Nicky Gumbel who um, studied the Bible to prove his family wrong that why they were believers. He was a lawyer and he wanted to look at it and say why the Bible was wrong and in doing so became a Christian. And now involved with the Alpha Course has seen many people come to know Jesus Christ. So he would have been a huge person speaking against the cause of Christ and now he's being used to speak for the cause of Christ. I think there's a, a movie coming out, um, what's the guy's name, Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. The same thing, an invest, investigative journalist trying to prove Christianity wrong. And in investigating and in studying it, comes to Christ, comes to know who Jesus is. Because the people that often are the, the greatest voices against, when they have a transformation, things turn around and God uses that passion and that desire that they have for God. But as much as this story this morning is about Paul, it's also about someone else. Someone who is pivotal to Paul's story, and his name is Ananias. And this morning I don't want to speak about Paul, but I want to speak about Ananias. The guy in this story who said to God, you can't be serious. What can we learn about Ananias and his life that we can apply in our life today? We do not know a, a whole lot about him. We do know that Paul says this in Acts 22 when he's retelling the story about how he came to know Christ. He describes it this way, verse 11 in Acts 22. He says, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So that's what Paul's memory was of this guy, Ananias. This morning, just a few things about Ananias. The first one, he was a godly man. He was a disciple of Jesus, a believer. It does not say how he came to believe in Jesus. It doesn't say what his upbringing was. 
It doesn't say whether he was born into a Christian family. It just says that he was a follower of Jesus. He was known as someone who followed God. If you're going to be known for something, this would be a pretty good thing to be known for. We don't know a lot about him, but we just know he's someone who followed God. You know, my kids often have been talking to me about what they want to do when they grow up. And they haven't necessarily been saying what jobs they want to do or what um, careers they want to do. They've just been of late saying, I want to be famous. That's, that, and I go, what do you want to be famous for? I don't know. I don't care. I just want to be famous. I go, what's with that? 21st century. I blame Instagram. But anyway... And we speak to them about do something significant and do something meaningful. Don't worry about the fame. But for this man, what he was known for was he was known as a follower of God. That's a pretty good thing to be known as, a follower of God. The other thing that was known about him was this. It says he was well regarded in his community. So he was known as a follower of God. It would be really terrible if he was known as a follower of God but then the next sentence says, but he wasn't well regarded within his community. I think it's great that someone that was known as a follower of God is also known as a man of integrity and a man of, of virtue and someone that was looked up to and respected by the community within he lived. See, he wasn't just someone who followed God on in the temple, but he was known in the marketplace. He was known in his dealings. He was known in the way he lived his life as someone with a good reputation, with good integrity. He's a man that was known as a follower of God and someone with integrity. The third thing we read about him is he had a vision from God. We read that God speaks to him in a vision. According to the Bible Encyclopedia, the English word vision, while including within its meanings that of a physical or ocular perception, places the emphasis and primacy on those dimensions which are extra physical, i.e. something seen otherwise than by ordinary sight. So we know that Ananias is a godly man. We know that he's a man of integrity, but we also know that he's a man who has a vision from God. And many years before this happened, the prophet Joel said these words, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In Acts 2, we read that Peter quotes that scripture and declares that this time is coming to pass. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Ananias was not alone in his visions from God. But if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that many people are having visions and dreams and encounters with God that they can't necessarily explain. In Acts chapter 8, we won't go there, but the chapter before this one, Philip has a vision and the angel speaks to him and directs him to go to another town. In Acts chapter 10, the very next chapter, Cornelius has a vision from God. And so God is speaking to people in visions and he's speaking to people in dreams. And you've heard me say it before from this pulpit, but God still speaks that way today. Don't just read this story and think, oh, isn't that nice? God spoke in a vision, but God still speaks that way to people today. He wants to speak to us through dreams and through visions and we need to be aware and we need to be awake. You know, we just sung, Holy Spirit, let's be aware of your presence we can be aware of his presence. We can be aware of him wanting to speak to his sons and daughters through dreams and visions. I read an awesome book a few years ago about how God is doing this in the Middle Eastern world where he's revealing himself to Muslim men and women in the middle of their mosque, in the middle of Mecca, in the middle of places where you would think Jesus is not there. And he's showing up and they're having visions and they can't explain it. And then they read a Bible and they go, oh, this is the vision that I had. This is the person described of what I've just had a vision over. 
So don't read the Bible person, don't read the Bible Christian and think that happened back then. You know what happens today. Let's be a people that are aware of his presence and aware that he wants to speak to us. Just like he spoke to Ananias that day, he wants to speak to you and I. So when you have your nana nap this afternoon, be aware that God might want to speak to you through that nana nap. Or tonight when you sleep, that God might want to speak. Don't think he's clocked off for the night. He's never asleep. He's always wanting to speak. And I'm not saying that every night you sleep, you're going to have a dream and a vision. But just be aware of it, that God might want to speak to you through a dream or a vision. The fourth thing, Ananias did not like the vision at all. God appears to him and his first response is, yes, master. Yes, master. That's a very good Christian response. Yes. Yes, God. What do you want me to do? Then God tells him what he wants to do. And his reply is, you can't be serious. You can't be serious, God. Ananias reminds God how dangerous this request is. Not sure if you're aware, God, but this thing you've just asked me to do is quite risky to my life. It's not the safest thing to do. Picture it if you can. The Jews in Damascus know that Saul is coming to their town to arrest them and put them in jail. Basically, in today's terminology, Saul could be referred to as a terrorist, as someone that you want to avoid. And now God is saying to Ananias, go to this man and pray for him. Has anyone um, read the book or watched the movie The Book Thief? Anyone seen that a few years ago? I, I read the book and there's a, um, it's set in Nazi Germany during World War II. And there's a young Jewish man by the name of Max. And he's hiding out in the basement of a, of a family who are sympathetic to his cause, concerned for his cause. He's hiding there. And the book goes into detail, and the movie goes into detail about how they have to work really hard to remain hidden from the Nazi generals and the Nazi soldiers. Because if they find him, not only will Max be in trouble, but the family looking after Max will be in serious trouble as well. And as I was reading Acts 9, I was imagining it would be like someone like Max, who's hiding out from the soldiers, who's hiding out for his own life. It would be like God speaking to Max and saying, hey, Max, I want you to get up and I want you to go down to the army headquarters and I want you to go in and knock on the door and pray for the general in charge of the Nazi army. It's the same sort of thing that's happening in this story. It's not an easy request, but it's a difficult request. And you can see why he says you can't be serious because that is exactly what we would say. God, you can't be serious with this request. See, most of us like the, vision, the idea of having a vision from God. Most of us like the idea of hearing God's voice and saying, God, speak to me. God, show me what you want for my life. And then he might tell us. And our response can often be, you can't be serious. You've got the wrong person. Uh, I'm sitting in a different seat in church today. I think you met the person that normally sits here today. It, it can't be me that you're asking to do that. See, usually if it's God speaking, it'll be something that's going to cost you something. There'll be a challenge to it. There'll be a faith component to it. I heard someone say this. If a vision doesn't cost you anything, then it's just a daydream. But if it's a vision from God, there will be a cost associated to it. There'll be a, a step of faith required. Because a vision is not a picture of how things are now. A vision is a picture of how things are going to be. And for things to become that way, then they were going to require some acts of faith. They were going to require some obedience. And they were going to require us to no matter what our fears, no matter what our um, objections are, but to step beyond that and do it. Something that we might not feel qualified to do. Something that we might not feel able to do. But more often than not, that's the thing that God is calling us to do. In Ananias' case, he doesn't want to do it at all. He's afraid of the consequences. But then God speaks to him again. God says this, don't argue, go. 
I have picked him as my personal representative to the non-Jews, the kings and Jews. And God says to him, I find this really interesting. God doesn't say, it's all right, Ananias, you'll be okay. It's all right, Ananias, I'll look after you. It's all right, Ananias, no harm will come against you. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, stop arguing and go. A bit blunt, isn't it? Um, Jack Haynes says this, soldiers don't get to choose their mission. They simply choose whether they will obey or not, whether they follow the orders they have been given. I'm reading at the moment, my current reading is about the American Civil War. So I've just finished Genghis Khan and Julius Caesar and all these lovely, you know, and now I'm reading about another battle. But in this thing, it's, it's interesting, the, the, the writer's perspective is that the generals and the people in charge didn't have much of a clue about what was going on and how there were these awesome opportunities to win the battle, but because of their fear, they, they held back. And often the, the men and women on the front line knew what was going on more than what the overseas got, but they didn't get a choice whether they, they didn't get to come up with the battle plan. They didn't get to come up with the strategy. If they did, they probably could have won. But what they are presented with, and the stories about that, is orders come in from a higher authority. And they choose, am I going to obey this order or am I not going to obey it? Am I going to follow what's been instructed down or am I going to just do things on my own? And that's what the story that I'm reading is about. But the choice you and I have often is not, what am I going to do with my life? The choice you and I have is, am I going to obey what God's telling me to do with my life or not? See, we often don't get to come up with the, the grand plan. He lets us have some say, but ultimately it comes down to a choice. Obey or not obey. Do what God says or don't do what he says. It's a choice and a decision we all make. But you need to remember, he created us. He knows what's best for us. He knows the life better for us than we know ourselves. And so when he tells us to do something, we can trust him that he knows what he's saying. God doesn't promise protection, but you know what he does do? He expands on the vision. Previously, God told Ananias that Saul would be healed and be able to see again. But now he begins to tell Ananias just what Saul's going to do for God, just what Saul is going to do with his life. He begins to expand and say, this is what... This is why I need you to go pray for him. He doesn't say you'll be safe. He doesn't say everything will be okay. He just says, by praying for him, this is the future that I have for this man. God declares the vision for Saul's life. He declares not how things are right now, but how things are going to be. And how does Ananias respond this time? He goes anyway. He may not have liked it. He may have been scared to do it. God might not have promised him protection, but because God said go, he went. And he did what God told him to do. He prayed for Saul. He prayed for a man that was his enemy. Luke 6, 27 says this, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. Is there anyone else in here that wishes that verse wasn't in the Bible? No? You're all glad it's in there? You're really happy that it's in there? Some of us, at times, if we're honest, will struggle with this. I know Ananias did, but he went anyway. A few years ago, I read about the work of a man named Kent Hodge, who works in northern Nigeria. Northern Nigeria is full of um, 
Islamic terrorists, basically. And they're a Christian organisation and a Christian school. And they, he describes how they work in that community. And you read it and you just go, man, this guy is living out this verse. Or these people, the Christians of northern Nigeria, are living out this verse. Because they do good to those who harm their family. They do good to those who kill loved ones. They do good and pray for those that are making their life difficult as a Christian. And he reads and tells the testimonies about the lives that are changed and transformed as they receive goodness and kindness instead of retaliation. But I read it and I'm challenged because I get annoyed at the person that cuts me off in traffic or the person that kicks me in soccer or the person that says something bad to my kids or whatever it is. But here are these people and they're praying and doing good to their enemies. And that's what Ananias does in this story. He shows tremendous courage to go and do good to a known enemy. There's a well-known quote that says this, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the triumph over it. Ananias would have had fear. He would have had doubt. And if we're going to do the things God has called us to do, fulfill the vision he's given our lives, then we have to face our fears. We have to get, what over, get over whatever it is that is holding us back. It might be the fear of sharing your faith, what you believe, with someone in your world. Look, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian all my life, and I still have that doubt when I feel prompted to say something about God to someone. I have to push through that fear. I don't think that fear will ever go away, but I have to push through it if I'm going to do what God's called me to do. If we're going to do anything that God calls us to do, we have to push through it. I guarantee at least once on Ananias' journey over the, across town that night, there was a temptation to turn back. There was a fear that would have been overwhelming. But he overcame his fear to do what God had called him to do. We sing a song, or we've sung it before, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We are tempted to turn back, but we push through that. Ananias pushed through that night. In verse the final point this morning, he shared the vision that God gave him. In the vision God gave Ananias, he showed what would become of Saul. But he didn't keep that to himself. He went over and he shared that with him. See, Saul had this encounter with God on the road. And up until this point, the, the encounter was about getting Saul's attention. He knocked him off his horse. He lost his sight. He told him to go and wait. God didn't say anything else to Saul other than that at that moment. But until Ananias rocked up, Saul didn't know what the whole purpose of this encounter was. But when Ananias rocked up, when Ananias came to pray over him, it was in that moment that God revealed to Saul his plan and his purpose for his life. You can read about it in Acts 22. See, Ananias shared the vision God had given him with Saul. He spoke into Saul what God saw in him. He spoke into Saul the plans God had for his life. Saul didn't, Paul, Saul, whatever you want to call him, didn't get it straight from God. He got it through Ananias. He got it through a messenger from God. And sometimes when we have a vision, just like Ananias did, it's not only just about our life, but it's about other people's life. And he gives us a vision, or he gives us a word, or he gives us a message. And it's not just for you, but it's also for someone that he wants to share it with. And Ananias shares it with Paul, and the results are, are amazing. We read that he's healed. He becomes a Christian. He's baptized immediately. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And a few days later, he's preaching the good news of Jesus to all who would listen. As we said later, Paul went on to be a pivotal figure 
in the advancement of the gospel. He went on to do great things for God. You know, I've, I read the story about um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor who opposed Hitler. He wasn't a Jew, but while, he was a German, but while living in New York, in the safety of New York, he was compelled to return to his homeland to speak up against the attacks on the Jewish people. He is arrested, he's sent to a concentration camp, and ultimately he's killed for speaking up for those that were being oppressed. So he paid a huge price. But he's quoted as saying this, and I love this quote, especially for me as a pastor and a leader. He says this, One act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. One simple act of obedience. And here's the point this morning, church. Ananias didn't preach hundreds of sermons. Ananias didn't write half of the New Testament. Paul did that. But Ananias did do this one act of obedience that was pivotal to the life of Paul and Paul doing what he did. So we can read the New Testament, we can read the Bible and think it's about people like Paul, and it is. But it's also about people like Ananias, who was a godly man, who heard a word from God, and even though he didn't want to do it, he did it, and he obeyed God. And God used him in this incredible way to reach out to Paul that night, and it changed Paul's life around. He did a, a completely new thing in his life. I wonder what it is that God's asking you to do. If you're honest, what would be the one small act of obedience that God might be asking you to do? The one thing is on your heart that God's stirring within you. Maybe you've had a vision from God. Maybe you just feel compelled that this is the thing that God's called you to do. See, this one act of obedience had huge eternal consequences because he was obedient to the voice of God. Who knows what God has planned for us? Who knows? Maybe there's a person in your world who doesn't know God, who's away from God. Maybe, just maybe, God's placed you in their life to be like Ananias was, to be the messenger, to be the person used by God to reach out to that person. You know, last week we had Joe Geeling here preaching. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to the message. But she talked about uncharted waters and how we don't know what lies ahead. We have to get comfortable with not knowing what lies ahead. See, Ananias, he wouldn't have had a clue all that Paul would achieve in his life. He wouldn't have known all of that. He was just acting simply out of obedience to the voice of God. Who knows what God wants to do through you, through me, through us. Let's be a people that are willing to be obedient to his voice. That as he speaks, we would say, you can't be serious, but I'm still going to do it. You can be honest with God. I love the honesty that Ananias had. He still was able to say, you can't be serious, but he went and did it anyway. He followed through. There's a song we used to, we still sing it sometimes in church. Um, it's, the song's called Oceans, and I just want to read you these words because I want it to be our prayer this morning. The words in this song are, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. The words of that song are the prayer that I believe needs to be in our heart today as we respond to the voice of God. 
that whatever he calls, wherever he leads, however he guides, we would be like Ananias, prepared to go, prepared to be used by him however he chooses. Can I ask this church this morning just to close our eyes, just across this room? Just close your eyes. I just want to ask you a question this morning. Where is God leading you? Where is God calling you? Is there one act of obedience that you know God is speaking to you about? One person maybe to reach out to. Maybe a a neighbor. Maybe a family member. Maybe someone in your work. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's you stepping up and doing something that God's called you to do. But it's that one act of obedience that could have huge consequences for the kingdom of God. And I believe he is speaking to you and I believe he is calling you. And this morning as our eyes are closed, I'd like you just to raise your hand as a signal to God that says, God, you can't be serious, but yes. And there's hands going up across this room. You can have your doubts. You can have your fears. You can have your questions. All those are fine. But it's like you look at all those things and you still say, well, the answer is still yes. God, I thank you for the hands raised across this room. The people saying yes to you. Yes to your prompting. Yes to your leading. Yes to your voice. God, we don't know the consequences of their yes this morning. But you do. And so, God, we declare that your kingdom will come and your will would be done as your people say yes to you, are obedient to your voice as you lead them and you guide them. We thank you, God, for their obedience. I pray that you would give them a supernatural courage this morning to follow through and to do what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to open your eyes. It's part two now. We're ready for another half hour? No, I've got one more page on my iPad. See, this story that we read this morning is about two lives that God intervened. Two men who God intervened in their world. One, Ananias, was a good man. The other, Saul, was an evil man. But God had a plan for both of them. God had a purpose for the good man and the evil man. Sometimes we struggle that God has plans for evil people. But God has a plan for every single person. God had a purpose for their life. God had a plan that their lives would be connected in some way. And that's why he showed up to Saul as he was on the road and knocked him off his horse and he had a vision and encounter with God. And that's why he showed up to Ananias in his house and that's why he had a vision from God, that these lives would be connected because God had a plan for both of them. Just like God has a plan for you. Ephesians 2.10 says this. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's plan for your life begins by you accepting Jesus. Starting anew as this verse says. Letting go of the old. For Paul, for Saul to start this new life, he had to let go of the old and begin the new. 
and we can do the things that God has created for us to do. And it starts by accepting Jesus into our heart. He wants to intervene into all of our lives, whether you're good or whether you consider yourself bad, whether you're a righteous person or whether you consider yourself far from God or near to God. He has a plan for you and it starts with you accepting Him into your world. And this morning we're going to finish by giving every person here an opportunity to get to know who Jesus is, to get to know the plan He has for not only this life but for all eternity. And you can do that this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, yeah, I want to know this Jesus that you're talking about. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have grown up in church, but you just simply have to say yes. I want to get to know who Jesus is. Because Jesus came to this earth. He lived without sin, the Bible says. He lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross. And by dying on that cross, he took away the things that we have done wrong and the consequences of our sins. And he took those away because he rose again from the dead. And the Bible says that if we believe in him in our heart and we confess with our mouth, then we will be saved. We will receive this eternal life that he came to give. So this morning, let this story about Paul not just be about Paul, but let it also be about you, where your life can receive Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one last time. And if you're here this morning and you'd like to invite Jesus into your heart, you're not walking with him, you don't know who he is, Maybe you once were walking with Jesus, so once were a follower, but today you're far from him. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about Jesus, like Tammy shared about her upbringing. Whatever your story is this morning, I believe that Jesus is here and he wants to encounter your life. And if you would like to receive him in, then I'd like you simply to raise your hand where you are. Just raise it up high so that I can see it and invite Jesus into your heart. Thanks, mate. I see your hand over there. Thank you as well. Is there anyone else this morning that just wants to declare they want to get to know who Jesus is, the difference he can make in their life, discover the plan and purpose he has for you? Thanks, mate. I see that hand as well. That's awesome. Okay, we're going to pray, church, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The three of you that raised your hand this morning, but I'm also going to ask everyone else to pray this prayer together. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that just just declares what I've spoken about, that invites Jesus into your world. And it's a powerful prayer, and I want us to pray it together. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you in my life. I believe you are the Son of God, and that you came to earth to give us eternal life. I open my heart to you. I receive you as my saviour. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Today I receive your forgiveness. Take control of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. My life is yours. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we give a hand to the three people that made a decision this morning to invite Jesus into their world? The three of you that raised your hand, our team have got a, just a little gift for you. It's a Bible. They just want to connect with you after the service. So please don't rush off. They'll, they'll hopefully come to you and give you a pack. But if they don't, you can come and see myself.
because we'd just like to get to know you and help you and encourage you on the life decision that you've made this morning. So that's fantastic if you could do that. Very good. Well, I think I'm done. I've just had an um, iPad reminder come up on my phone. Mum's 60th birthday.